This message was presented at the GYC 2011 conference. For other resources like this, visit us online at gycweb.org. Let's pray. Father in heaven, thank you for this time we can spend in your word. pray that as we continue to study Revelation Inspiration, which will guide our hearts and our minds, we will have an understanding of how we can better interpret your word, and we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen. So we spoke of Balaam, and we spoke of um, <clears throat> how God intervened in his case, right? And um, it's one of, one of several examples we can find in the word of God, how God, <clears throat> when, a, when a prophet would have given a message that would not have been God's will or God's word, that he uh, intervened in one way or another. Um, one of the other ways that God intervened in the life of Ellen White and the ministry of Ellen White, we're talking about inspiration here, how God actually was involved in the very communication of the ideas, not just the education of her mind, but the communication of her ideas. We see in Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2, page 292-293, she says, After I come out of vision, I do not at once remember all that I have seen, And the matter is not so clear before me until I write. Then the scene rises before me as was presented in vision, and I can write with freedom. Sometimes the things which I have seen are hid from me after I come out of vision, and I cannot call them to mind until I am brought before a company where that vision applies. Then the things which I have seen come to my mind, she says, with force. I am just as dependent upon the Spirit of the Lord in relating or writing a vision as in having the vision. Isn't that interesting? So God was very much involved in the communication as well, even if, in fact, um, she was using her own words. When she didn't find those words, she would have them brought to her. Um, It is impossible for me to call up things which have been shown me unless the Lord brings them before me at the time that he is pleased to have me relate or write them. Again, Spiritual Gifts, Volume 2, pages 292-293. She speaks also of how the Holy Spirit helped her to find a fit word, an appropriate word, for what she was trying to say. This from Manuscript Releases, Volume 2, pages 156-157. While I am writing out important matter, he is beside me helping me. He lays out my work before me, and when I am puzzled for a fit word with which to express my thought, he brings it clearly and distinctly to my mind. Isn't that interesting? It's not that all of her words were dictated. That, doesn't, that certainly doesn't come through here, does it? She's trying to express, she even says, her thought, right? It's, um, I believe it's uh, inspired thought, because through Revelation, God has been you know, educating her mind, teaching her the truths, the wisdom that he wants her to convey. But it's her thought she's trying to convey. And as she's trying to seek the best word to, to use, God would sometimes put those words in her mind. She might be able to <clears throat> communicate that the best way. Another way that God intervenes when it comes to um, inspiration is correcting when significant mistakes are made. <clears throat> and we can turn to First Chronicles chapter 17. First Chronicles 17, I believe it is, verses 1 through 4. Find the story here of the prophet Nathan. 
The Bible says, Now it came to pass, as David sat in his house, that David said to Nathan the prophet, Lo, I dwell in a house of cedars, but the ark of the covenant of the Lord remains under curtains. Then Nathan said unto David, Do all that is in thine heart, for God is with thee. And it came to pass the same night that the word of the Lord, the word of God came to Nathan, saying, Go and tell David my servant, Thus saith the Lord, Thou shalt not build me in house to dwell in. Now Nathan was a prophet, wasn't he? <clears throat> he gave King David the permission, the blessing, ostensibly the blessing of the Lord, to go and to build a house for, for him, right? <clears throat> when he got home, God came to him during the night and said, You said the wrong thing. You're a prophet. You see, if I say the wrong thing, God doesn't always correct me. That's why you need to search the scriptures for yourself to see whether I'm telling you the truth. Um, we don't read non-inspired writings the same way we read inspired writings. And it's for this reason. Non-inspired writings could have things, they may be overall very good works, but there may be just little things here and there that aren't quite the mind of God and um, we have to read non-inspired writings with a critical mind because there may be thoughts that we have to reject. We take what's good and we reject what's bad. They're not the best. <clears throat> but when it comes to a prophet, if there was something that would be significant, if there's something that would be a, um, a miscommunication of God's will, God's way, God's character, the prophet would be corrected should they use their own human judgment and give... Uh, counsel or a word that is not in harmony with what God <clears throat> would have them to understand. So, um, God here corrects Nathan, and it's one of those examples we can point to. Um, one of the most interesting stories when it comes to Ellen White's experience in Revelation inspiration <clears throat> took place the morning of October 19, 1902. Six o'clock in the morning. How many of you <laughs> have meetings at 6 o'clock in the morning. There were seven individuals there who were um, gathered in her home, including the president of the general conference and um, local church pastor there in Napa area and um, the president of the uh, California conference and the pastor of the San Francisco church and a number of other people. Uh, one of, I think the publishing director for the general conference was there. Seven altogether. Um, I think Willie White was, in, was present as well. And um, the, the subject matter they were concerning themselves with that day was the publishing house, what we call the Southern Pub. I don't know um, how many of you have seen Adventist books, old Adventist books, published by the Southern Publishing Association. Southern Publishing Association was started back in the late 1800s um, to particularly focus on the work in the South. Um, the South was neglected. Um, there wasn't a lot of work done there. Um, and Edson, Ellen White's son, after he was reconverted as an adult, came back into the church, um, he started listening to what his mother was saying about the work that needed to be done in the South. You know, he's the one that built the boat, the Morning Star, and he built it up in Michigan and floated it out to the to, the, to Lake Michigan and then through the Chicago Canal and on to the Mississippi River and on down to the Tennessee and Cumberland. And, and he started going up and down the, uh, <clears throat> the rivers in the south. That was the best way of transportation in those days <laughs> and uh, much better than the roads. So 
Um, Edson was very involved in this, and he was currently serving as the, uh, I think his position was the president of the Southern Publishing Association. He was the leader of the publishing house. Now, um, this publishing house had required some capital, some uh, donations. And in fact, God's people had been fairly generous of late and had given quite a bit of money. And the impression had been given through communication <clears throat> that it was doing well financially and it was growing and it was, you know. Well, the reality was that it wasn't doing well financially. It was going further and further into debt every day. And um, it was a losing proposition. It really was. Um, there just wasn't the financial base around to be able to buy the books and to, for the call porters to work and whatever. I don't know all the details. But it was losing money. And um, <clears throat> you understand it was a little bit of a touchy subject because Ellen White's son was the president. And so the General Conference president is broaching this issue with the other gentlemen involved. And um, she says, you know, shouldn't we? He, he basically says, shouldn't the, how long do we have to wait until the church steps in and sets matters right? The publishing director is here. He says, you know, it just makes much more sense for us to have one publishing house and it's much more efficient. We can, we can handle all the printing in one location. We don't have to have this money-losing proposition going on. And um, so as they're describing the situation, Ellen White gives this response. <clears throat> she says, I say, go ahead. Go ahead. God's cause must not be left to reproach, no matter who is made sore by arranging matters on a right basis. Now, um, they had a stenographer there to record word for word the whole meeting. So as A.G. Daniels, the General Conference President, got onto the train to go back to the East, Michigan, he had in his pocket the transcript of their conversation because this was not going to be an easy thing, but it had to be done. You know, They had to shut down the Southern Publishing House and they had to stop this, the staunch of blood that was draining the life force out of the church in the South. <clears throat> Um, that night, Ellen White had a dream or a vision. <clears throat> In the first part of the vision, she saw an operating room. And there were all these people coming in here with injuries on their limbs. And without much thought or care, they were simply amputating all the limbs. And someone came into the operating room and looked at these patients and said, what are you doing? I'm paraphrasing this now, you understand what are you doing? These can be saved. With proper care and proper attention, these can be saved. And there was instruction given as to how they should be put in rooms. And, and um, sure enough, she saw in her vision that with this proper care and attention, everyone kept their limbs. They didn't have to have them amputated. And the next scene passed before her. It was a scene she saw A.G. Daniels and she saw Palmer, I believe was his name, was the head of the publishing department. And she saw that what they were saying about the publishing work, she saw that it was not in harmony with God's will, that God wouldn't have all the publishing done in one location. That even if it mathematically, by human terms, made more sense, 
it was God's will for there to be this type of a, <clears throat> uh, I guess you might say a deconsolidation or whatever the term is, um, of the, the publishing work. They, they needed the publishing help there in the South for God's people. And so you know what she did. The next morning she got up and she wrote a letter. She wrote a letter to uh, <clears throat> A.G. Daniels. And she said, uh, actually, don't close the publishing house. Now, this is what Elder Daniels wrote later. The message to continue the work of the Southern Publishing Association was truly disconcerting. It brought, it brought great disappointment to many. It's contradiction to the counsel given to us in our interview threw some into perplexity. The whole concept of Ellen White as a prophet was called into question. I mean, these are the type of things people really struggled with when they, when they heard Ellen White say on one hand, do it. The next day she's saying, don't do it. Um, they had difficulty with that. And A.G. Daniels, he, he gave this significant amount of thought <clears throat> until he began to think of that passage in 1 Chronicles chapter 17. And A.G. Daniels himself went back and studied it. And he, he recognized that what happened on that day in Elmshaven is the same thing that happened on that day in the throne room of Israel, where Nathan told King David, go ahead and build the temple. And then later he came back and said, don't do it. God has showed me that we shouldn't, or you shouldn't. And the same thing takes place. God corrects the mistakes, the human judgment errors, if it's something that's of, of significance, if it's something of significance. So God intervenes when? <clears throat> when a recognized prophet, through self-interest, are willing to change God's truth into a lie. That should be, is willing to change God's truth into a lie. Example of Balaam, right? <clears throat> Example of Balaam. You might say, why would, God put, why would God put his words in Balaam's mouth? Balaam wasn't even a godly man at this point. You know, Balaam's greedy, whatever. The issue was not Balaam's current spiritual condition. The issue was Balaam was known to be a prophet of God. And for his own sake, for his own reputation's sake, he would, he would intervene in Balaam's uh, cursing of Israel. He intervenes when a prophet expresses thoughts or words not in harmony with his message or will. <clears throat> now, um, there were times, and we can look particularly, we can look at some of these in the Bible, we can look at them in the spirit of prophecy, there were times when God doesn't choose to intervene. There are, there are um, what you might call discrepancies in what is written. Now, in the spirit of prophecy, probably the most famous one when, was when she was describing the Paradise Valley Sanitarium. You may be familiar with the story. She writes to someone about the Paradise Valley property. She raised a lot of money to buy that property and so forth in Southern California. Um, she writes regarding this, that there, this was a property with a building on it that had 40 rooms. And uh, one gentleman who read the communique <coughs> began teaching that Ellen White wasn't inspired because he knew quite well that that building had 38 rooms. And um, she actually would have to um, write him and explain to him that 
You know, there are some things that as a prophet I say just simply from my own knowledge. God does not, God does not uh, tell me there's 38 rooms or 40 rooms. From the information I had, there's 38 rooms or 40 rooms. Maybe she was rounding it, you know, to about 40 rooms. I don't know. But <clears throat> the fact is, I believe that wasn't an important salvational discrepancy to have in her writings, right? If she had been saying something that was theologically inaccurate that would confuse the people, that would lead people to be lost or in some ways be, you know, um, uh, distorting the message of God or the character of God, then God would have intervened. That's how I understand a prophet's inspiration to work. God did not always intervene, but when he saw that it was important. You have some other examples. Um, there's more than one way to look at some of these examples. I remember one, it actually isn't a discrepancy, but I remember reading in the Desire of Ages, it says that Zacchaeus climbed a fig tree. In the Bible, it says Zacchaeus climbed a sycamore tree. Now, for a while, I thought, oh my, you know, what happened? Um, Now, the, the fact is that from what we studied here today, even if it was a sycamore tree and not a fig tree, it shouldn't actually f- shake our faith in the Bible, right? Or the spirit of prophecy in this case. Because it's really not important to our salvation whether it's a sycamore tree or a fig tree, is it? So you could have it wrong. But um, in actuality, there is a tree that's a sycamore fig tree, Ficus sycamorus, that is endemic to that area, that region. It's much taller than what we would consider a fig tree today. It's 60 feet tall and 20 feet wide, and it's a big tree. And um, it's generally accepted that this was the tree that um, Zacchaeus climbed. And it was a sycamore tree and a fig tree. Um, But you have other situations in the Bible. What about the demoniacs? One demoniac versus two demoniacs. Well, you can say, well, God God inspired, you know, God just, the one author just remembered one, the other remembered two. Well, still you only, you don't have verbal inspiration then, do you? You still have the illustration they're working off their own memory. And... um, we don't have God intervening to dictate the words. So um, it really isn't important whether it was one or two demoniacs. The story is intact. The meaning of the, me- the story is clear. The, the, the message of salvation comes through clearly, right? And um, so it's not, <coughs> it's not important. Now I'm going to um, just mention to you as we wrap up here that there are no degrees of inspiration. <coughs> Some inspired writings not, um, are not included in the canon, and um, we can see in First Chronicles 29:29 29, 29, that's an interesting verse because it includes not just one or two, but uh, three, I think, prophets that um, aren't included in the canon. <coughs> and yet they're called seers. They're recognized as prophets. They are inspired individuals. Um, nonetheless, it says, uh, Now the acts of David the king, first and last, behold, they are written in the book of Samuel the seer and in the book of Nathan the prophet. And... Uh, the book of Gad the seer. So I guess Samuel the seer, at least his books are recorded for us, but Nathan the prophet and uh, Gad the seer, we don't have those books. So not all inspired writings are what we would call canonical. That means they're part of the text of Scripture, what we consider the text of Scripture. At the same time, we must remember that some prophets never even wrote anything to begin with, right? John the Baptist, Jesus called the greatest of prophets. But which book of the Bible did he write? Please don't say the book of John. <laughs> right name, but wrong man. 
Um, he never wrote a book of the Bible, yet he was the greatest of prophets. He's not less inspired because he didn't write a book, right? He's not less inspired because he didn't have something in the canon of Scripture. Not at all. He's just as inspired. God simply did not ask him to convey the message in that form. <clears throat> and furthermore, we will notice that the same Holy Spirit, the same Holy Spirit inspired and led all the prophets, the, all those who had the prophetic gift, in the same manner, including God's end-time prophet. And this is something I want to underscore as we come to the, to the end of this study on inspiration revelation. Um, the spirit of prophecy is inspired the same way that the Bible is inspired. And I want to show you just two verses. It may seem simplistic, but I think it's, um, it's a clear uh, indication that <coughs> God's end-time prophet <coughs> must not be looked at as if it were, as if she were, less inspired or authoritative than the Bible. We don't put her on the same... We don't equate her with the Bible. We don't make her canonical. You know, we, we still see the Bible as our test of doctrine and belief and practice, right? But her writings are authoritative as well. And we see here in Revelation 19 and verse 10 <clears throat> the experience that John has as he... Uh, has this vision from the angel, Gabriel. And he says, I fell at his feet to worship him. And he said unto me, See thou do it not. I am thy fellow servant, and I have of thy brethren that have the testimony of Jesus. So this angel who was, um, who was intimately involved in the communication of the prophetic message, I believe it's the same angel from Daniel here in Revelation as well. This angel, he says, I'm, I'm with you. I'm not God. I'm, I'm a, he basically says, I'm a co-worker with you in the communication of divine truth, right? And he says, worship God for the testimony of Jesus is the what? So I am of thy brethren that have the spirit of prophecy, right? I'm of thy brethren the, that have the testimony of Jesus. If you look in Revelation chapter 22 and verse 9, you notice that last phrase is simply reworded, but it's a parallel meaning. He says, Then he said unto me, exact same situation, exact same scenario, See that thou do it not, for I am thy fellow servant, and of thy brethren the what? <clears throat> this time he doesn't say of thy brethren that have the spirit of prophecy or the testimony of Jesus. This time he says, I am of thy brethren the prophets. Now if A equals B and B equals C, then A equals C, right? So <clears throat> the prophets are those who have the testimony of Jesus, right? Including Ellen White, who was the last day prophet who was an, is an identifying mark to the remnant church, okay? Um, the only prophets you could be talking about in John's day are the prophets that have gone ahead. Isaiah and Jeremiah and the other canonical prophets had the same gift of prophecy, the same spirit of prophecy, the same prophetic gift as God said, would be given in the last days. You can't make a distinction between the spiritual gift in one era and another area. There are no degrees of inspiration. It's sort of like being pregnant or being dead. You can't be half pregnant. You can't be half dead. You're, you're, really, you're either alive or not. Either you're pregnant or you're not. And um, either you're a prophet or not. Um, can you imagine how confusing it would be? If God made some people 70% prophets, and other people 30% prophets, and other people 50% prophets, the net, 
he has the gift, evidently, same gift. Um, I, I think that the net result would be you had no profits because you could always write off whatever you didn't like about what they said as being part of the 30% that's not inspired, right? And so um, God inspires men and women, and there, there are no degrees <clears throat> of inspiration. I'm sorry? Well, no, I don't think God gives everyone the gift of prophecy. I think there is a manifestation of the prophetic gift which is not the same necessarily as the prophets, maybe an explanation of the prophecies, etc. But the New Testament is very clear that not everyone has the gift of prophecy. There are certain gifts that are given. So the Bible is reliable. All Scripture is given, the Bible says, by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness. The man of God may be perfect, thoroughly furnished, to all good works. This message was recorded by Fountain View Productions for GYC. GYC, a supporting ministry of the Seventh-day Adventist Church, seeks to inspire and equip young people to be vibrant, Bible-based, and Christ-centered Christians. To download or purchase other resources, visit us online at gycweb.org.